You are listening to the Slow Living Podcast, and I'm your host, Stephanie O'Day. What if I told you that you could truly have the life of your dreams, the life you've always wanted, one filled with abundance, joy, and a sense of purpose? It's absolutely possible, and I see it each and every day with my coaching clients. It all starts with learning how to slow down. You deserve to live the life you've always dreamt about. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 77 of the Slow Living Podcast. I am thrilled to have Lisa Lazat here today, and Lisa is going to share her own slowdown story, and she is going to talk to us about how to create long-lasting, sustainable daily habits. Lisa is the host of the Habits and Home Show podcast, and this is the go-to podcast for busy moms who want to downsize, declutter, and ditch habits that aren't working and exchange them for systems that bring peace and enjoyment to their lives. And let's think about that for a while, because that's what we're working for. We're not trying to quickly rush and declutter and downsize and do all these things super quickly and fast so then we can be happy, so then we can have peace. We're going to do it in a way that is slow, steady, and sustainable. And that is what Lisa is all about. And I am thrilled to have her. Lisa, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I love the intro. And yes, you got right to my heart with everything that you said. So thank you so much for having me on. So what is your background, Lisa? How did you get started in, in trying to, to do this, this slowdown and, and habit stacking? So you do habit stacking. Is that correct? Um, I do. I don't really focus too much on it. It kind of naturally happens, um, but I mainly just help people, you know, identify what's causing them chaos in their home and create an environment that helps them support to support them in life-changing habits. So yes, I do teach habit stacking, but it comes very naturally as we progress through coaching. And yeah, that's what what I do. (laughs) Okay. So if, because many of the women that I work with are in the middle of some sort of life transition, either they all of a sudden have have toddlers and babies and, and are trying to manage all of that, or they have pivoted in kind of this Kool-Aid with tons of paper and, and projects. Um, and then I also have a really large group who are brand new empty nesters and they're trying to figure out what the next step is. And you have encompassed all of that in your podcast. So what is the absolute first thing someone should do if they know deep down inside that they need to make a shift? Okay, well, the first step is is exactly that. They need to get to a level of desperation. They need to get to a level of knowing that they need to make some changes. They want to make a shift. I think any change that happens in your life that is sustainable, that um, you know, is not just a quick fix because we all know that things that are that happen quickly don't have time to get roots. So think about a tree. I have this huge oak tree 
at our farmhouse here in Florida. And it's pr- it's probably, I don't know, over 100 years old. And that tree is beautiful and strong and, and tall, but it took a long time for it to get that way. It had to dig its roots very deep and it had to, you know, how oak trees, they have roots that spread out really wide. And I think that when we want to make a change that is sustainable and we want to be better than what we were last week or last year, I feel like we have to first have those foundational roots and it starts with deciding. For me, and a little bit of my background is um, back in 2013, I went through an experience of losing both of my parents and before then in in the same year. um, And before that, I had children, had little babies. I was raising toddlers and and I was actually pregnant with my our third child at the time of losing both of my parents. And as a young mother, my 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 mother was sickly. She was in a nursing home, so she couldn't really come alongside of me and teach me how to be a mother and how to manage all the stuff that was coming in and how to create schedules and how to um what I feel like every mom should know how to do. <laughs> I didn't have that guidance. And so I just felt like I remember saying this phrase all the time. I feel like I'm drowning. I just feel like I'm constantly drowning and just treading water. That's There's no better way to explain that stage in my life than to just say, I feel like I'm always drowning. And so I, when that happened, the year 20, um, 2013, I, when I lost my parents and it was um, unexpected, they weren't prepared. And I had to go into their home and clear out their home while being pregnant. And it really was a shift in me. It really made me see that I wanted to be, you know, more in control of my life. I wanted to, and I knew that I couldn't be more in control because I was living beyond my capacity. I was, I didn't have the skills to be able to say, Okay, no, I no, that's not good for me right now in this season. I was just saying yes to everything. I was saying yes to stuff coming in. I was stay, saying yes to oblig, you know, obligations or tasks that people are asking me to do. We were also youth pastors at the time, so I was a yes girl. <laughs> and so I, it really showed me that when I had to go in and clear out my parents' stuff and they weren't prepared, I wanted to live a life of being more prepared. I wanted to live a life that was more minimal, more simple, more um, just more systemized. And so that led me to minimalism, okay? And minimalism, I I, I didn't really see minimalism out in the world, but I, and I didn't even know what I was really doing. All I knew is I just needed to get rid of stuff because I didn't want to manage as much. So I started doing it. I started decluttering and I started getting rid of stuff. And I didn't even know that that was really what minimalism was. And I knew that I had to shrink what I was managing so that I could start living more at peace. So that went on for a couple of years of living like that. And then we had this opportunity to live in an RV for a year. Yeah. And so I, 
when, when that time came, when we went from a 2,000, over 2,000 square foot home to a, I think it was probably like 100. It was just like a hallway. It was a hallway. Yeah. My kids didn't even have yeah. bedroom, bed, had bedrooms. No, I, we're, we don't have one right now, but um, we absolutely have gone RVing and, and done the RV trip. So I can absolutely yeah. envision how difficult that must have been. <laughs> Well, but but actually, also exhilarating because oh gosh, as you yes. said, when you only have a suitcase full of clothes and you only have a little bit to manage, it is so much simpler and, and gratifying. Like, oh, this is what we do now. Yes. And so I, I share my story. You know, I'm going to share a little bit more. But I, not everybody has to go through that experience. Not everybody has to have the traumatic experience of having to declutter and clean out their parents' house. Not everybody has to learn good home management habits by living in a tiny home or an RV. But it helped me. It's a part of my story. So whatever it is that you need, then you're going to find it. If you you got to get to this point of desperation. And so that's what I wanted to get back to is that's the first step you want. You have to get back. You have to get to that first level of desperation and knowing that you want to make change. So it, that was 2017. We moved in. So 2013, I started living more minimal. And then 2017, uh, okay. So between 2013 to 2017, I was living minimal but it, it it still didn't feel like it clicked. It, I was still picking up stuff. And of course, we always do that. But I still felt frazzled. So when we moved into our RV, one of the best things I was ever taught, or nobody even taught me, I just learned because you had to learn this living in a small space, was habits, home management habits. Like I had to learn how to reset my kitchen after I cooked every meal, after, especially at the end of the night, I had to learn how to reset because if I didn't, we were living in this tiny space where there wasn't allowed to be clutter anywhere. I mean, it was, and I have three kids <laughs> and they were, they were like four, five, and seven at the time. So three kids, they don't have their own bedroom. We're living in this 100 square foot you know, RV. So I had to learn how to pick up just so I could remain calm. I'm also homeschooling. <laughs> so we're there all of the time. So living in that tiny space really was the best thing in my life because it taught me really good home management habits. So the minimalism and then the habits, they became like they married each other in my life and it just radically changed. I can't remember the last time I've said the phrase, I feel like I'm drowning because just changing my mindset, changing my habits and setting boundaries as well, like knowing when to say no to stuff, knowing when to say no to task, all of that has really been a huge life shift for me. Absolutely. You um you have a, a wonderful story and there's a lot to unpack there. And I first want to just give you a hug and tell you I'm sorry about your mom and dad. Oh, thank you. And and that must have really been um scary to to all of a sudden realize that the adults you leaned on your whole life are no longer there. Mm -hmm. Um 
to, to guide and, and support and mentor. Um, and especially when you're going through life changes and, and learning how to be a mom and learning how to raise other humans, um, that's difficult. And so I'm sorry that happened. And I'm proud of you mm-hmm. for getting through it and persevering because a lot of us would have used that as a way to just kind of crumple up in the, in the corner in a fetal position and, and just stop, stop for, for, um, for, for some people that sort of traumatic event would, would stop their, their growth trajectory. And you didn't stop your growth trajectory. You used it as this kind of desperate wake up call that what I'm doing right now isn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. And if I keep going the way I'm going and saying yes to all the things and people pleasing the way I am and, and and running the, the youth ministry and a 2000 square foot house and purging my parents' house. It's just all too much. So I'm proud of you for recognizing that. And I'm also thrilled that you pointed out that everything you went through was so dramatic and it's not necessary. What is necessary is to just decide on purpose. Something needs to change. Right. Right. And, and, I have actually worked with several clients um, in person and online working through those excuses. And we talked about this on your episode, um, the victim mentality of like, this happened to me, so I can, it's now holding me back. And so there's a lot of breakthrough that happens, a lot of um, I'm not a therapist by any means, but you know how it is when you're coaching someone. There's so many um, walls that come down. And um, a client that I was working with in January, she had, and like I said, not your experience doesn't have to be traumatic. It doesn't have to be like this big thing. It could be anything. Um, but she had lost a child as a baby. And then her oldest son um, was dealing with some um, ADHD, some OCD tendencies. And so she had been in a rut for years and she finally reached out and she got the help that she needed. And she said, I didn't, I just knew I needed to change and I knew that I couldn't do it on my own. And so through the process of like, you know, decluttering, it kind of like was the, the, the way in for her to open up. And then as we were decluttering and working through, there were so many topics that came up that we discussed and we were able to work through and so many emotional barriers that she was having. And it's just, it, there's so much more, um, like we can make excuses. We can, and I actually have a series of podcast episodes that I'm going to do on different excuses that we are making for ourselves from taking that step forward, you know, when we feel stuck. And so I think like, you know, going back to the first step that people need to take is they need to recognize that they needed, they need to change and that they have to lay down their excuses. And if they can't do it on their own, then they need to seek out the help that to guide them because it is hard to do. I mean, I did a lot of this on my own. However, I, Whatever, like I would, I always say it like this. I will sit at the feet 
of people that are wiser than me and I will learn whatever I can to glean from them. And so I think the second thing is that we also have to have a spirit and a willingness to learn. We have to, you know, a client that I was, um, I tried, not every every um, story is a successful one. Well, it is, and it takes tiny steps. But some some a client that I was working with, she just wasn't ready. You know, I would I would try to you know advise her and coach her, and she you know had this spirit of not not willing to learn and not willing you know that. So I think you have to have an openness to learn. You have to be a person with your hands open, ready to receive, and you don't have to have it all together. I hear from so many moms that they're so afraid to have people over their house because they're afraid to being judged. And they really want to get to the place where they are ready at every moment to have somebody come over. And so breaking down those 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 fears of judgment, breaking down those fears of expectation. I really feel like yeah, so, so it's it's interesting because um real life ha- has stuff and especially yeah. when you have children in the house, you're always going to have a scattered living room with with toys and and tennis shoes and things like that. What you have always said, and and I say this too, is there needs to be a home. So when you do decide to have a 10-minute tidy, you can put everything back where it belongs. And if things do not have a home, that is definitely uh, the the kind of glaring red light of saying, okay, if, if there's too many things and they can't be housed properly, then that is absolutely when you need to declutter. Yes. I, I love, I'm, uh, your, your, your reset guide. So you yeah. have a free checklist on the habits and home, and that's all one word, habitsandhome.com yes. website. Yes. But what I love is you call it a reset. And before we logged on, I was having tech problems. You are having tech problems. And what is the first thing you do when you have tech problems? You reset. You, you have to reset it. Like you really do. So, so stop trying to, to fix something when it's obviously it's broken. And, and really sometimes the best thing to do is control alt delete. And clear out all of your browser tabs and start over again. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah. And I actually had to do a mama reset just, what day was it? Probably Monday. I had to slow down life a little bit and had to rein in my kids. And I love the idea. I've really owned the idea of resetting. It's I've embodied it. I love it. So it started out with minimalism and then, you know, I learned good habits. And one of those habits that my end goal when I'm coaching somebody is to get them to where life is as life is as easy as a reset. Like you can reset anything at any moment. You can reset your mind. Like you said, you can reset your computer. You can reset your space. So my daily reset checklist is basically the end goal. I go ahead and I give you the end result for free. You can go to habitsandhome.com and download it for free. However, I know that most people, me included, we have to do the work. We have to dig in those roots before we can grow the tree. So the reset, the this ideal 
easy reset that we can do every day, we need to establish the foundation first. We need to do these five different parts that I lay out in my programs. Um, you need to have, you need to um, reset your mindset. It's so important to reset your mindset, the way you've been thinking and how where it's gotten you, you probably have to do a reset for it. And I teach people um, mindful minimalism, not the world's idea of minimalism, but mindful min minimalism, where you are mindfully choosing what's in your life so that you can live peacefully within your capacity. And then I help people identify the habits that have gotten them to the place where they are and their goal. We have to have that vision of where we're going. What kind of habits do you want to have? And then I take them through those action steps of actually physically decluttering, whether it's virtually or it's in person where I'm actually, you know, um, physically putting my hands on their stuff. Um, I take them through those habits or those that process of decluttering and setting up an environment that supports you. We don't really... We don't really think about things. We think about like, oh, we need people to support us or we need um, a coach at the gym to support us. But we can be supported by the very environment that we live in. And that's really what I want to teach people how to do is to create an environment that specifically supports you and what you want to achieve in life. And then the, the second, the fourth part is after we've established that environment, that we know that we need. Um, I take you through the process of identifying different systems that will that are set up around your house that will help those habits happen more regularly. So if we strive to do a new habit, but we haven't created an environment to support that habit, then we are more likely going to fail. So creating the environment and setting up the systems so that the habits are easier to do, we're more likely to do them on a daily basis. And then the last part, which is the end goal, is the maintenance part of it, which is my weekly or my daily reset checklist. And I just teach you how to reset. That all sounds great. And it's, and it's so interesting to listen to you map it out because it's very similar to to the steps to slow living of, of knowing where you're going and then baby steps and, and tweak and modify. So I love it that we have these sort of parallel envisionings. Yes. So most of the questions I get about decluttering happens to be about physical clutter. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a very practical question of what do you do with sentimental items. If you don't have space, but you feel as if you can't toss it because it was given to you by a family member that has passed away, or you are, you just can't bring yourself to deal with the decluttering because there's just so much sentimentality wrapped into it. So how did that work with you when you were going through your parents' home? Yeah, that is such a great question, and that is one of the, one of the what do you say excuses that I'm going to definitely cover. And I actually did a a um, podcast episode on that um, episode number ninety eight. 
um, how to organize sentimental items for a clutter-free home. So you can check that out. Okay. I need to listen to that. So it's the (laughs) Habits in Home podcast, episode 98. All right. I'm going to write it on a post-it. So when I'm walking Sheldon later, I can download that and (laughs) listen. Okay. For me, I'll just speak on my personal um, experience and then I can give you just a couple of little ideas to to contemplate. Um, for me, when I was decluttering my parents' house, okay, so for me, I was already at a point of overwhelm when I was decluttering my parents' house. And I it's it's really funny some of the things that I felt more sentimental about. They were more practical things. So what I ended up and and to be you know, tr- completely transparent. My, I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. I grew up in an alcoholic home, um, very verbally abusive, not physically abusive, thankfully. But my parents did not have a great relationship. My mother, um, there that was a kind of relationship I had wished that they would have separated for good. Mm. And my mother, I, oh my, I, I want to give you another just sort of virtual hug because <laughs> you you really have gone through a lot, and it and it's such a difficult thing when we're sort of confronted with death in the family, and you have mixed emotions, and you feel sorrow and grief, and then also a, a teeny bit of relief at the same time. Yes, and so I can just head. imagine you with pregnancy hormones, just all of the thoughts and feelings in your body. And it it must have been insanely difficult for you. And I'm just so thankful that you are sharing this and, and how you've sort of overcome. So I'm just... I'm totally proud of you, and I just want Thank you to know that. You. Thank you so much. I it's I really don't. It's almost like I I can't. I, it's almost like an outer body experience because I'm such, and and I and and so many people would be mad. I am actually so grateful for what I went through and what I experienced because I like the person that I am today, and I share that with. You know, I share that with so many people, not necessarily all the details of my story because, you know, I like to listen more than I talk. And I always say to them, be thankful because it is shaping you. It is molding you into the person that you are today. And hopefully you like that person. <laughs> so um, so back to my story about my, my kind of a strange relationship with my dad. He was living alone at the time. And my mother was in a nursing home. She had been there for four years uh, battling Parkinson's. And so I had already... And she was a she was a sentimental person, much more than I am. I'm I'm sentimental, but I'm more sentimental now over the the memories that I share with my kids. And so she held on to everything. She held on to my Barbie dream house, and she held on to my um, my stuffed animals and so many things. And so I had already gone over there several times to get the things that meant the most to me. But when my parents did pass away, how I decided what I wanted to keep, I didn't want a lot. I didn't want to add more to my life. My life was already good with what I had. And I was, you know, I was happy with what I had. And so I really didn't want their stuff just because it belonged to them. I I wanted... 
um, the memories of, you know, of sitting in my mom's lap, even as a teenager, crying to her over a boy that broke my heart and her, you know, laying in bed with me every night until I was like in seventh grade. <laughs> I I just held on to so much of those memories. But a couple of the things that were special to me was um, I loved this galvanized tub. If you can just imagine an old farmhouse galvanized tub. And I had a memory of, a couple of memories of going in the backyard and taking a bath. Even my parents never like made me do that or anything, but I remember bathing and doing like an outdoor bathing experience in that tub. And I always remember just like, and so that was one of the things, and I still have it. It's actually attached to my back port or on the back of our house. We have a farmhouse and my kids will grab it sometimes and they'll put it in our outdoor shower and they'll bathe in it. And it's just so practical and useful and I get to love on it. I didn't want to keep anything that had to be stored away just because it belonged to my parents. I didn't want to keep anything that I couldn't enjoy now. And when you keep too much, you it kind of waters down your enjoyment of it because it's not as rare. And because it's not as rare, it's not as valuable. So I try to liken um, sentimental things to diamonds. And I try to coach my clients through this. I said, if you know, think of diamonds. Diamonds are valuable because they're rare. And if you had a bunch of diamonds, it kind of like, oh, it's like, oh, they're just a bunch of diamonds. I have plenty of them. But if you only have one, then it's so much more valuable and you hang on to it and you treat it with you know, a certain care and you love it and you talk about it and you're like, come see my diamond. Or like for me, another sentimental item that I kept where I had two I think they were probably like, I was like one years old and two years old. These two little old timey, like, well, I was an 80s kid. So I call them old timey. (laughs) So these little like frilly dresses and I held on, I kept them and I put them on my daughter. So basically everything that I held on to has become useful to my life. And I'm actually able to use it and enjoy it. And um, so, yeah, I... You know, I also think about, I try to paint this picture for parents when they're talking about like their kids' toys. I say, think about the child like in the Great Depression, right? And she only had that one doll. And it might have been like a cornhusk doll, but she had that one doll. Or think about like Little House on the Prairie, they had that one doll. And how did the, the child treat that doll? She treasured it. She bathed it. She took it everywhere with her. But when your child has so many, it becomes watered down and they don't, they don't treasure just that one thing. So that's how I try to deal with sentimental items is that when, yes, it is hard, but when you weed out and you get down to, <coughs> excuse me, when you weed out and you get down to just a few things, you increase that, those items value to your life. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have a regret? So so some of the women that I work with are worried that if they get rid of something prematurely or something that they might need or want in the future, that they'll have regrets. Have you found that you do have any regrets? I have not experienced regrets. Not that I can remember. I may have 
in the, you know, year over the years. But here's the thing about feelings. Feelings are okay. It's okay to have, to experience regret. I feel like sometimes we shield ourselves. It's like this protective mode that we're not, we, we don't allow ourselves to feel hurt or we don't want to allow ourselves to feel sad or we don't want to allow ourselves to feel regret or shame. But all of these feelings make us human. And it's okay to experience regret. It's okay to, you know, be sad of something that you let go of in in a moment where you felt like you didn't need it in your life and now you feel like you do need it in your life. It's okay to have those feelings. Um, but if somebody, if it's holding somebody back from letting go, then they can put it in something like called quarantine. I've heard other organizers say that term before. You could put it in quarantine. You could put it up in your your attic and you could just say, if I haven't thought about it, if I haven't. But here's the thing. I, I feel like anything that I own, I, I want to have things in my life because my life is great and I want to have great things in my life. And I'm not going to hide treasures. I want my treasures to be seen. I want to see the things that I enjoy. So if you're packing up these things because you don't want to regret getting rid of them, but you're not seeing them and you're not enjoying them, then what purpose are they really contributing to your life? I Just because you want to hoard them up and you're just too afraid to go through the feeling of letting, you know, the, the hardship of letting go, I, I don't know. I just feel like you have to, there, and, and I also say this. There are no rules. There are no rules with decluttering. There's no rules with letting go. It's all in what you decide your goal is, where your vision, where your eyes are pointed, where you want to go. And then you create the life that supports that. So there's no rules. I'm not going to make anybody get rid of something that they don't want to get rid of. But as you grow and develop as a person, you might not be ready to get rid of that item now but you can get rid of it next year when you're a different person. Absolutely. I love what you said um, and I relate to it. And I know many of my coaching clients relate to it also. I think sometimes people do get stuck on quote unquote rules and, oh, you have to only have a hundred things in each room that you love. No, that's just a a, a marketing gimmick. (laughs) You, You decide what works for you and your home. And then earlier you had talked about a 2000 square foot house. Some of the the women I work with have large homes and they have garages and they have attics and they feel bad because they have a storage wall or, or they have this or that. If what is working for you is working for you, then just don't worry about it. You know What's not working? I have some boxes in the garage that have been there since the last move, and I haven't opened them in about 12 years. Mm -hmm. And so some people might judge me and tell me to get rid of them. I'm not ready to get rid of them because I'm not ready to open the box to to thoughtfully go through it Mm -hmm. because they are old pictures from when Adam and I first got married and in like the hospital bracelets of the babies and all of these things that at some point I will have time to pull out and make a proper scrapbook and, and baby book, but I'm not there yet. And I'm okay with it. And I have the space for these boxes. 
So it, it's, it's not bothering me. It's not haunting me. I don't feel shame in any way, but I can see people who are trying to follow a list of arbitrary rules may have different thoughts and feelings. So, so really kind of check yourself and, and, and decide what, what is it that I really want? And, and what am I trying to achieve? Am I trying to impress people that might only come over once a year for some party? And honestly, I don't even like hosting this party anymore. Like, well, like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 <laughs> I, I think, I think, and that's what I, I help people do is getting to the root cause of their chaos. Your chaos might feel completely different to mine. So I I spoke at a church on Tuesday and afterwards the host, she was so afraid. I, I know her from homeschool group. And she was so afraid of having me come over to her house. She lived at the the parsonage right next door. But she was talking to me in in the yard about different things that she's struggling over. And I was like, why don't you just let me see your space really quick? And she's like, you want to come over? I was like, yeah. And she's like, okay. And so I went over her house but she was so embarrassed and so ashamed. And I walked in and I was like, this isn't bad. <laughs> and she's like, oh my gosh, it's so terrible. I was like, it's really not. <laughs> and what I told those ladies on that day is that our chaos does is not somebody else's chaos. And so this fear of judgment to have friends come over or, you know, our mother-in-law to stop by, um, it, you know, first of all, if people are going to be, okay, this is something that I said on somebody else's podcast is judgment. Like we make judgment, but judgment is not necessarily a negative thing all the time. We're actually like, we look around, we're like, oh, okay. You're recognizing, you're like, oh, okay. You know, I see that. I noticed that, but it's not necessarily you're casting negative judgment towards somebody. Now, if somebody has negative judgment and they verbalize it, then that's probably not someone that I need to be around. I don't want negative people in my life. So just count it as a blessing that God is naturally weeding people out of your life through these natural processes of like having people over. And if they see how you live, then they don't need to be a part of your life. (laughs) Absolutely. Declutter the the people that aren't filling you up and making you feel good about yourself. Lisa, I I just think you have such... A phenomenal story. And I'm so happy that you have taken the time to share your way of slowing down by decluttering with us. And, and Lisa, your, your main website is the habits and home.com yeah. website. So yeah. absolutely get her free checklist and, and learn how to do a simplified daily reset because having a, a, a tranquil and, and peaceful environment that when you walk in at the end of a busy day and you just feel cherished mm-hmm. because this is your home. Um, that's really what slow living is all about. And you encompass it so well with your sustainable kind of minimalistic esque <laughs> approach. <laughs> and then Lisa's webs, uh, Lisa's podcast is the habits and home show. And um, she's got some top episodes. And so I'm going to go through that episode 98 that she had talked about of sentimental clutter and, and trying to declutter it in a, in a thoughtful 
way. But also she points out that 78 is three tips for cleaning your home in less time, which sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. 79 is to stop cleaning. Yes. <laughs> and and then 77 <laughs> is um a 100-day challenge kickoff. So I think you have so much here and it's just so wonderful. And thank you for spending so much time with us today. Do you have a slow living story to share? Leave me a voicemail at stephanieoday.com forward slash podcast with any questions, comments, feedback, or testimonials, and I will be sure to include it in an upcoming episode. Also, if you found value in this episode, please share it with your family and friends and subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. The more you share, comment, and leave positive reviews, the more people we can reach and share the slow living lifestyle and messaging. Thank you, Slow Down Society, and have an absolutely wonderful day.